Welcome to the third episode of Room 106. I'm Richard Garlick from Planning Magazine. And I'm John Gagan, also from Planning Magazine. Every fortnight, we brave Room 106, the chamber of horrors into which all new planning information is dumped, and extract the key things you need to know. Hang on, isn't it more than a fortnight since we did the last one? Uh, Well, yes. Uh, If you're going to be literal about it, this edition was put back a week while we sent the quarterly print edition to press, which I hope our subscribers have now received. But the general plan is to do these things every fortnight, and that's what we'll be doing next year. Oh, okay, Great. So, coming up, the key news stories of the past fortnight and why they might be important for you. We analysed the Environment Act, which was finally passed this month after years of delay, and we look at what it means for the planning sector. We explore the raft of recent Secretary of State decisions and ask if they reveal any emerging themes of Michael Gove's tenure as Secretary of State. And, talking of Michael Gove, we round up the latest hints from the ministerial team as to their current thinking about planning reform. By the end of the show, you should feel able to venture an opinion in your next meeting without it being followed by an awkward silence. Well, that's enough of the preamble. The anticipation is always the worst bit. Shall we go in? Fair enough. Well, here we are again in room 106, the vault which gathers every last semicolon of planning information. It looks as terrifying as ever. How do you feel about it, John? Yeah, it's not very welcoming. But I'm in here every day helping to gather material for our subscribers' daily news bulletin, so I'm getting quite used to it, I think. Oh, yes, our, our, our daily news bulletin. We, we, uh, yeah, we, we should flag that up. So what have you picked up in the last three weeks since we last spoke? Well, I think the biggest news story of the month is possibly the passing of the Environment Act, which has been a long time coming. It's been several years since it was first announced and it's been delayed several times. And the key new uh, requirement in there for, for planners and developers is the introduction of biodiversity net gain, which means that when a developer is building a new scheme, they're going to have to improve local biodiversity by at least 10% over a 30-year period. Okay. And is that something that they're going to be expected to do as of now? Um it's actually not coming into force for another two years, so November 2023. Okay, so this is something that comes into force in a couple of years' time. Does that mean that it's not something that councils and developers are, are really yet grappling with? Well, I think it's actually something they're grappling with at the moment. It's definitely on the radars of um, councils and developers. In fact, some research came out from planning consultancy Litchfields recently, which found that two thirds of new draft local plans actually already require a 10% or more biodiversity net gain in new requirements. So certainly councils are alive to this now, and um, it's something developers in many areas are going to have to start meeting. So councils and developers, they will already have a degree of uh, experience or some councils and developers will have some experience of discussing these kind of issues. Does the experience today suggest that these kind of conversations in the future are going to be straightforward? Uh, Not always, no. We've already heard from some councils who've expressed concerns about the... um, the proposals that developers are putting forward for creating biodiversity net gain. In fact, the leader of Wiltshire Council at the Tory party conference last month said some developers were talking complete garbage 
when they were describing the amount of net gain that their schemes would deliver. Um, so it suggests that the kind of councils and developers aren't always going to see eye to eye when it comes to um, biodiversity net gain. This is something that's been covered in a in a feature article by Joey Gardner in in our latest um, print edition. I think we might get Joey to come and talk about it next week. But I, um, yeah, there were certainly some eye catching um, stories of uh, of schemes which I, I think you know one council leader described uh, you know a, a huge amount of um, biodiversity net gain being um, being ascribed to a single hedgerow, which he found hard to credit. Unsurprisingly, yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. Um, what what else? So the Act itself is obviously, you know, it, 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 there's a huge amount in the Act. In terms of what's going to be of interest for planners and developers, biodiversity net gain, as we've said, is, is the big one. But also there's a requirement in there for the new kind of spatial plan for nature called local nature recovery strategies. And the idea is that they'll cover the whole of England with, um, but it's not clear yet who's going to, going to draw up these um, strategies. Initially, it was thought there was going to be um, local planning authorities, but the, the, the latest um, from the government is that they're still to decide who, who it will be, and they're describing it as a responsible authority that will um, lead on these. And they're going to map out um, uh, habitats in each area and, um, and map out specific proposals for creating or improving those habitats. Okay, so that sounds like something that might fall into the might fall into the lap of planning authorities, but might be um, might be given to somebody else. We don't, we don't really know yet. Yeah, that's right. The idea is it, it's going to be used to help developers avoid building on the most valuable habitats and focus on um, habitat creation where it's most appropriate. Okay. Okay. So, what about what about other stories in the last three weeks? What what else has um, has sort of been at the top of the the sort of pile as far as news coverage is concerned? Well, we've had loads of um, ministerial planning decisions. So that's a mixture of called in uh, planning applications and recovered appeals. We've actually had ten in the last um, fortnight, I think, and it's been interesting to see whether they are uh, yielding any patterns of the. Um, or setting any precedents for decision makers. Um, interestingly, none of the decisions have been from Michael Gove himself yet, presumably because they they all predate his uh, arrival as housing secretary. Okay, and uh, what what kind of schemes have been determined? Are there any that stand out? Yeah, well, there've been there've been quite a variety of them. There've been some. There've been quite a few big uh, employment schemes on Greenbelt in the northwest. Um, there's also been some notable refusals of big developments. So we've had a, um, a scheme at Brighton Marina, a long-running proposal there for a 1,000 homes, and that was refused um, by Christopher Pincher, the housing minister, because of design shortcomings. We've also had the Tulip Tower, which has got a lot of national coverage, um, and that was refused by Pincher on design and heritage grounds. So what's the, um, the Tulip Tower? What, what was that scheme? So the Tulip Tower is a scheme designed by Norman Foster, and it was it's quite basically a tourist attraction in the city of London, okay. where um, it is a very striking design. It'd be very very tall, three hundred and five meters tall, um, and it'd feature a sort of viewing platform. So that was refused by um, Pincher because because of its design and because of the impact on um, the nearby Tower of London World Heritage Site. Okay. And so is this a theme in the minister's decision, a sort of um, 
a sort of strong support for decision makers who are uh, insisting on on high quality design it seems to be yes yeah so um many of our listeners will know that the government toughened up national policies on design in MPPF changes earlier in the year. They also have um, published the long-awaited National Model Design Code and before that the National Design Guide. And um, the aim of all this is to make it easier for people to refuse schemes for for councils and inspectors to turn down schemes if they're considered to be poorly designed. And that's certainly been a theme with um, these recent decisions. So we've had the Tulip Tower, as we've just discussed. We had Brighton Marina, where design was a key reason for refusal. And we've also had a second decision on the West Ferry Printworks scheme, which you'll probably remember was, a very, um, was approved by the previous housing secretary, Robert Jenrick, last year in very controversial circumstances because the um the developer behind it richard desmond um it later transpired had um yeah it was a tory donor and had right. had contact with um Jenrick just before the decision was announced and the decision itself came at a time which meant the developer avoided paying extra millions of pounds in um in developer contributions extra millions of pounds to those commies as uh, as Desmond had described them in his uh, in his texts to yes. yeah. the flowery language that he used yes so the yeah. money was due to the tower of hamlets sorry tower hamlets council was due to um, introduce a new community infrastructure levy just days after the uh, decision was announced yeah um yeah. so that was a key reason why the um the decision was subsequently quashed by um in, in the high court after the um, the House actually conceded uh, apparent bias in the decision making, so it went to a new minister to decide, and um, it was actually the uh, junior housing minister Eddie Hughes who made the decision, and it was refused. It's a big scheme; it's fifteen hundred homes, but again, design and heritage impacts were key issues here. What, what's quite interesting as well is that Tower Hamlets actually was in a, a weaker position this time round in terms of its. Um, housing delivery policies because it lost its housing land supply position, five-year housing land supply and failed the housing delivery test. So, which meant that its, its local housing policies were weakened, but nevertheless, it was still, the scheme was was still refused by the minister. That's interesting. So do they all consistently suggest that the government is taking a firm position on, on design matters or are there, are there still some aspects of those decisions that might, that might give those who are sort of campaigning for better design quality um, cause for worry? Um, it seems to be that what we're hearing from uh, experts in the sector is that this, that West Ferry and the other decisions certainly indicate that the, the government is giving increasing weight to um, design and heritage impacts. I mean, obviously, these with these decisions, they all, they all have unique circumstances which are um, taken into account and with West Ferry, obviously, the controversial circumstances around it mean that many people were very unsurprised that it was a refusal. And especially given that you have a backdrop of um, government, you know, current controversy over um, so-called sleaze, which means that the government's probably very keen to avoid um, any further controversial decisions or suggestions that they're in cahoots with developers. Okay. So and interestingly, there's... sorry, sorry, just to say that all, all the all these decisions so far that have come from the new ministerial team will followed inspectors recommendations as well which is interesting that ministers were ever going to refuse it right. 
Okay, and and sort of continuing on the political theme, um, I think your third topic is is the sort of various stories that we've been running over the last couple of weeks, where you know people are continuing to pick over Michael Gove and his ministerial teams. You know, various hints that they're giving about the future direction of of changes to the planning system. Yes, that's right. I mean, clearly everyone in the sector is desperate to know what's happening with the. Um, the government's you know, response to the planning white paper. I mean, the planning white paper came out in the summer of 2020, and um, I think initially we're looking at a response in the spring this year, and that's been pushed back. And then we're looking at the autumn, and now it seems that we're not going to get something until early next year. So there's a huge um, anticipation around this, and with Michael Gove's arrival as housing secretary, pretty much days after he arrived, we were hearing reports that um, he, he'd paused. The, um, the review of the planning system, and he wanted to take a closer look at it. So, you know, we can expect some some big changes to what was originally proposed. And so what we've had in the last month is Michael Gove appeared before the um, Housing Communities Local Government Select Committee, where he was grilled by MPs on, on a range of issues, actually, around uh, his de- departmental responsibilities, including levelling up. But they also touched on planning reform. And so he gave quite a few clues there on government thinking. In addition to that, we also had a few speeches from, we also had uh, Christopher Pinch, the housing minister, appearing before the um, House of Lords committee where he spoke about planning changes. And um, obviously he spoke at our, he was the, gave the keynote speech at our planning for housing conference where he um, very helpfully gave um, some clues as to the timing of the, um, the new planning bill and the white paper response. Okay. So, what have we learnt uh, in in the last few weeks uh, about the timing of uh, of these planning changes? Well, firstly, uh, Gove was speaking to MPs. He said that he wouldn't be abandoning the white paper changes, so he's not going to be ditching it completely. He didn't he didn't give away much about timing, but then Christopher Pincher, the housing minister at our conference, said that the government's final response to the planning white paper and the related legislation will probably come forward early next year. Okay. And essentially, what are the headlines in terms of what we've learned about Gove's ministerial team and and what we know now that we didn't know a few weeks ago about the sort of things they're going to change about the proposed revisions to the planning system? Well, there definitely seems to be a new focus on linking the planning changes to the levelling up agenda. So levelling up is the the government's idea of rebalancing the economy away from London, the South East, and improving outcomes in other parts of the country. In fact, Gove tried to define it in front of MPs by saying it's about um, improving opportunities in different parts of the country. So Christopher Pincher um, at the Planning for Housing conference said that in making these planning changes, the department wants to make sure it's looking at the good regeneration aspects of it and is, is channeling them through the prism of levelling up. Okay, that's interesting. And and, and and that kind of chimes with some of the things that Gove has has said, where he's, without being very precise, he's sort of suggested that the um, he's, he's sort of implied some criticism of, of what he describes as a method of assessing housing need that is overly reliant on looking where there's been demand in the past and and, and suggested that perhaps if if we want to uh, change patterns of development uh, we need to consider about what, what you know I think that his quote was you know where the where the country wants to go that's right yeah so he made comments at the um the, the Tory party conference last month 
um, along those lines. And um, when he spoke to MPs earlier in the month, he um, housing need was was something that he um, addressed again, and um, he seemed to make it be fairly clear that he wanted to change the way um, housing need is local housing need is currently assessed. So that's what's referred to in the sector as the standard method of assessing housing need. And the government had proposed changing it in last uh, summer's planning white paper. But now Gove is saying he'd like to um, change it in a different way. Um, He was quite critical of um, how they assess council's local plan housing requirements. And he said that he thinks some of the assumptions behind the way housing need is currently assessed is probably out of date. Okay, so that's definitely something he wants to change. Any, any other? Has he said other things that indicate, you know, the sort of where he's focusing his attention? Yes, he's um, he's indicated that he would like to see communities have a greater say over new development. Um, and one of the sort of specific ideas that he has, or specific new ideas that he's he's explicitly backed, is this idea of um, a street, a kind of street-based system of neighbourhood planning, which is called Street Votes, which was first put forward in a, a report by the Policy Exchange Think Tank. And it would allow residents to prepare and vote on uh, densification plans for their streets. Gove said he loved the idea. Okay. And, and, and he's, also, um, he's also sort of more generally said that he wants... Um, that he wants residents to sort of retain a say or, or, or the ability to influence individual planning applications, which I think has been seen by a lot of people as suggesting that the the um, the white paper proposal for growth areas where where a local plan would identify an area for growth and that would automatically confer an outline planning permission on um, schemes that comply with the plan without there being any kind of planning application process. Um, I think people have. There's been some people have interpreted his comments as suggesting that 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 proposal is now um, is now uh, has now been shelved. Yes, that's right. Yeah, there have been reports for a long time that the government was going cold on that idea even before Michael Gove's arrival because it was so controversial and so many backbench Tory MPs um, were very anxious about um, removing the right of um, local communities and councillors to have a say over um, development proposals when they're at the uh, planning application stage. Okay, fantastic. Any other sort of headlines that um, people should be aware of that um, uh, indicating the um, uh, the direction of government thinking? Well, interestingly, he mentioned that um, he said that permitted development which is obviously very controversial, um, allowing homes to, uh, allowing offices and other commercial premises to convert into housing without needing a planning application. Gove said that um, he told MPs that the impact of permitted development would be considered as part of the um, planning system review, how, whether it would, they would have to contribute to Section 106 agreements, which they currently don't. Okay, okay. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much, John. I think that that rounds up the uh, the key events of the, of the last few weeks. I'm going to have to now go off and find someone who can explain the key findings of the Planning Consultancy Market Report 2021, uh, which has just come out in our uh, our quarterly print edition and uh, is being uh, disseminated this week on our website. John, I will see you shortly to discuss the uh, the quirky story of the week.
Okay, I'll carry on my sifting here then. Right, well, I need to find someone to explain to me what the key content of this year's planning consultancy market report is. So I'm picking my way through this huge room and it's hard to sort of see where I could get this information. But as I turn this corner, there's someone emerging out of the shadows that I can see in the distance. Oh, it's Samantha Eckford. Sam, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you, Richard. How are you? Very good, thanks. Very good. And um, well, I think you're the ideal person to help us with this because um, you've been working on the survey for the last couple of months. Yeah, that's right. Um, I've been uh, collating and analysing a lot of the data that we've received from planning consultants this year for our annual planning consultancy market report. So happy to talk to you about it. Fantastic. Okay. Well, can you just give me, I mean, how how many people did actually respond? Uh, So this year, 107 firms responded to our survey. Um, It's a survey we do annually. This is the 25th edition of the survey. And we essentially collect a range of information from planning consultants, from their fee income, the number of staff they employ, and and how they expect the market to change. Okay. And what are the sort of key things that, the sort of headlines uh, that we learned from it this year? So I guess the key headline would be that the market is stable, all things considered. Uh, There was a small 1.5% fall in the numbers of chartered town planning staff across um, the market and an even smaller 0.5% fall in the number of fee income recorded. Now, this actually beat the firm's prediction last year. Last year in our survey, they predicted a 5% fall in fee income this year. So firms have exceeded their own expectations. Um, In terms of which sectors grew the most, transport is always a huge part of the market. And this year, transport subsector was responsible for a quarter of all income and grew by 4% um, across all 107 firms. Okay. So transport has been a big area of growth. Are there other areas that grew in a big way last year? Yes. So in particular, the commercial and industrial subsector grew. Um, It grew by 3.17% or an estimated 1.9 million in the year to March 2021. Additionally, also the greenfield housing and the brownfield housing subsectors grew. So brownfield housing grew by about 2% or 1.3 million, while greenfield housing grew by about 3%, a total of 3.6 million across the 107 firms. Fantastic. Okay, so um, some strong areas of growth. What about the next couple of years? What are people saying about how they expect the market to change in the next couple of years? Yeah, so... While consultancy firms have definitely suffered as a result of the pandemic, firms are remarkably optimistic about what they expect to happen over the next couple of years. So the 30 largest employers have predicted a 7% growth to 2022 and a 10% growth in the two years to 2023. To put this into context, 78% of firms agreed this year that the economic climate for development is going to improve over the next 12 months. Now, this compares to just 33% in 2020 and 36% in 2019. So they're even more optimistic than they were before the pandemic hit. Okay, that's really interesting. And what about which specific sort of markets for planning consultancy advice are going to grow? Which are the are they the same sort of areas that have uh, you know that have been growing? in the past year that they expect to grow in 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 the coming year? 
Yeah, so some of them are the same. So the commercial and industrial sector, which we've spoken about already, grew this year, is predicted to grow over the next 12 months too. There's a 3 million predicted growth in the year to March 2022. Okay. Similarly, the housing market is expected to grow as well. So the greenfield housing market is expected to grow by 6.4 million over the next year. And the brownfield housing market is expected to grow by 3.4 million. Okay, that's interesting. And any um, any other sort of areas where the market for planning advice is, um, is expected to grow? Yeah, so the other notable one would be the energy sector. Now, this isn't one that grew significantly over the last 12 months, but it is one that's expected to grow over in the future. So our survey predicts a £2.6 million growth over the next 12 months to March 2022. Firms indicated that this was from a range of factors, but mostly noted the increasing pressure on the government to meet renewable targets in driving this growth. That's interesting. And, and was it is it clear what, what's behind the other areas of growth like you know the greenfield brownfield housing and uh, and commercial industrial did people sort of shed much light on what's driving that growth yeah so greenfield and brownfield housing is a sector that firms have described as remaining buoyant throughout the pandemic now it's interesting that one uh, consultant who i spoke to noted that much of this growth might not be focused within london and the southeast that as part of the government's leveling up agenda we might see more and more of this growth focused outside of those regions And in terms of commercial and industrial, the main reason for these predictions seems to be as simple as demand outstripping supply. There's been significant demand in this subsector over the last 12 months and firms just don't expect that to let up. Okay, it does seem a very notable thing, doesn't it? As you you drive around the country, you just see more and more of these huge sort of logistics warehouses uh, springing up. Yeah. Okay. What else does the survey cover? What I, I, this this survey, I, I, I'll take the opportunity for a, for a plug is um, is is in the uh, quarterly edition, which all subscribers I, I hope will have received by now, and which we're uh, we're sort of gradually sort of putting out on the uh, on the website over the next couple of weeks. But what what else uh, will people find in there? So a range of information, really. We reveal the UK's biggest employers, both regionally and nationally. We talk about the fastest growing firms, provide detailed information about job data, including seniority splits. We also have new this year an A to Z of fee rates across all firms with information with how these have changed over the last 12 months. And finally, we also include information about firms' response to opinion-based questions about how the market's changed and on a range of topical issues that are facing firms at the moment. Fantastic. And... um... You've done something specific looking at the jobs market and consultancy. Yes, I did. So I had a look at the data that we gathered from firms about the job market and consultancy. Um, The headline being that 75% of firms are expecting their planning consultancy teams to grow over the next 12 months. So even though there has been a small decrease in the number of chartered town planners employed by firms over the year to September 2021, Firms are expecting this to grow over the next twelve months. Fantastic! So that there, there's clearly a lot of optimism. Um, what were the skill sets that people are particularly looking to um, sort of grow their strength in? So a huge proportion of consultants responded to say that strategic planning was a really in-demand skill for them. So fifty percent of respondents indicated that they expected to target the recruitment of planners with this skill over the next year. 
Similarly, housing site assessment was also a really high in demand skill identified by consultants. 38% of respondents said that they were likely to recruit planners with this skill, which is perhaps unsurprising when you consider the growth within the housing sector over the last year and also the growth that's predicted in that sector over the next 12 months. Yes, absolutely. That, that, that sort of seems to hang together, doesn't it? Anything else worth sort of flagging about that, the research you did on the jobs market? I think perhaps the most notable uh, aspect or change that's predicted within the jobs market is uh, what's happening to the numbers of students or licentiates that are employed by firms at the moment. Now, this was the an area that was particularly hard hit by the pandemic. Numbers fell by 12% last year. This year, happily, numbers have grown again. They're up 5% on the num- of the numbers employed last year. Uh, So firms indicated that the deficit of planners at this level had been exacerbated by the pandemic, although they did note that it was already an area in which perhaps they needed to focus more on. But because of the pandemic, firms were just more unwilling to recruit junior staff in the midst of all of the uncertainty. But this is a seniority level that they're expecting to recruit at over the next year. So 58% of respondents are expecting to recruit students over the next year. So it seems like there's a big return to um, recruitment of uh, uh, you know at, at RTPI student level, and certainly I, I I did notice from reading through bits of the survey that some of the big firms have got some very big um, student recruitment programs planned. So it is interesting to see that sort of coming back with a bang. Yeah, I don't think that we've completely recovered to the level of the pre-pandemic number of RTPI students employed by firms, but it's interesting to note that perhaps there has been a swing in this area. Very interesting. Sam, thank you very much for all of that. I I think you deserve to get out of room 106 before anybody else this week uh, and, and, leave the, uh, and leave the stacks of, uh, of survey responses behind. I'll get out while I can. <laughs> very wise. Thank you, Sam. Thank you. Right. I wonder where John is. See if he can tell us about the the quirky story of the week. Yes. Hi, Richard. Any quirky stories of the week that may not be uh, of earth shattering importance in terms of um, planning legislation, but seem to have attracted our our readers' interests? Yes, there certainly is. We um, there's a story that caught my eye today in our news coverage, where plans for a um, 38 hectare solar farm on Greenbelt were approved. Um, what's notable about it is that it was approved by members against the advice of planning officers who had actually recommended refusal. So usually it's the other way around where a um, these kind of schemes on Greenbelt, it's often the case that it's members refusing it against um, planning officers recommending approval. And obviously it's on Greenbelt as well, which makes it all, Greenbelt schemes are, are often controversial and um, the bar is set much higher for um, for approving them. That's really interesting. And so, why is it? Which was which was the council, and um, and why was it that the um, the members were so enthused about it? Well, it was Brentwood Council, and um, as our readers will know, for a scheme to be approved on Greenbelt, there has to be it has to meet a, what's called very special circumstances in national policy if it's judged to be uh, inappropriate development. And officers had a very close look at this, and they decided that the um, the factors weighing in the scheme's favour just weren't strong enough to outweigh the, the harm to the greenbelt. But the members felt that the um, 
schemes provision of of what they call green energy constituted a very special circumstances that was enough to um, for them to approve it. And not not only did they approve it, they unanimously approved it as well. That is really interesting. It's so unusual, isn't it, for um, for members to back a controversial application against officers' advice? Well, it certainly feels it feels very unusual. Yeah, but maybe that shows a sort of change in the in the weather as far as you know, um, or the, a change in the sort of political climate as far as um, uh, things to do with uh, tackling climate change. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, I think the fact this was a solar farm as opposed to a big housing development would make it a lot more palatable to uh, local members and local communities. I think members referred to the fact that the scheme had a lot of local backing as well. Okay, thanks very much, John. Well, I think our work is done. Let's get out before there are any more announcements or decisions or survey responses. Ah, phew. Well, that's another few weeks summarised. Yes, we'll be back in a week's time for the final episode of the year to give you another update on all the key things happening in the sector. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe wherever you normally get your podcasts. And for more details of all the stories we've discussed in this week's episode, remember to head over to planningresource.co.uk. All this stuff is covered in a lot more detail there. And to get a daily bulletin of planning news, plus weekly analysis and specialist bulletins, you can subscribe at the same place. That's planningresource.co.uk. Thanks very much for listening. Goodbye.